Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you took the time to listen to this message. We think it's going to encourage and inspire you. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Hey, who's happy to be back in church this morning? Come on, let's make some noise. I need to hear you. Like, Who's really happy to be back in the building? So, so good. Now, if you guys know anything about me, I'm all about vibes and I'm all about looks. And so I absolutely hate the vibes and the looks of how this church is set up right now. Uh, but it is what it is, and I would rather it look ugly and us be together than us be apart. And so even though we're spread out, even though some of y'all are so far back, there's no disease that can get you back there. Um, I want to hear from you guys. I want you guys to make some noise. Let's respond. I'm so happy to be together. So you guys ready this morning? Man, let's just read the word of God to get us going. Genesis chapter 3, it says this. It says, but the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you were you naked? This is God talking to Adam. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, well, it was the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, no, 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 the serpent deceived me and I ate. We're starting a brand new series this morning and uh, in every single series, our title is going to be a hashtag this morning. And so our title this morning comes from the words of the prophet Shaggy. Our title this morning is hashtag, it wasn't me. Come on, somebody clap your hands. So good. You guys can be seated. In case you guys didn't know, Shaggy isn't a prophet. Um, We're starting a brand new series here at church. Super excited. The series that we are starting is called hashtag throwback. And it's a series all about the book of Genesis, and I'm just super excited for this series. I'm excited for a number of reasons, and one of the reasons I'm excited is that Genesis is one of the oldest books in the Bible. It's the first book in our Bible, and everything that's recorded in it is the oldest history that we have in our Bible, and so that's why we're calling this series hashtag throwback, and so we're going to be in the book of Genesis, and I'm not even going to try to put a, a time limit on it. It could be four weeks. It could be 12 weeks. It could be indefinite because there's just so much in Genesis, but uh, super excited for this series as we're throwing it back. Touch the person next to you if you're comfortable and say throwback. Throwback. So good. Um, So uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, Christy and I were cleaning out our closets. Anyone ever do this exercise where you clean out your closet? And uh, I should more say that uh, Christy was cleaning out her closet And uh, one of the cool features in our house is that we each have our own closet in our room, which is cool. And so Christy was cleaning out her closet, and so I thought I might as well clean out my closet. And uh, so as we're cleaning out our closets, what we're doing is we're getting rid of clothes that we don't wear anymore. Anyone ever gone through this process before? Now, the hardest part about cleaning out the closet, to me at least, is the hypothetical situation. Like, I'll see a shirt I haven't worn in five years, but uh, I'll be like, man, what if, like, what if I need that? for a certain night, uh, and, and so it was a very difficult process, and so what we did was the whole thing, like, if it doesn't bring you joy, just get rid of it, um, and so we did that, and so by the end of cleaning out our closets, I had a big pile of clothes, and uh, my pile was on the floor, and Chrissy's pile was on the floor, and uh, 
my pile was mostly just like dress shirts, like collared shirts, and I had like a lot, and I wore a dress shirt like a couple times a year, so I didn't really need 25. And so, um, big pile, a lot of dress button-up shirts. And so Christy, she sees my pile, and she specifically sees one shirt in my pile, and the shirt that she sees is a pink shirt. It's got like stripes, and it's kind of like got dark pink tones and light pink tones. And uh, back in 2014, that shirt was slaying. And uh, she looks at my pile, and she specifically looks at that shirt, and she said something very interesting. She said, oh, thank goodness. And I was like, what do you mean, thank goodness? I was like, you used to love this shirt. And she just says, like, she's like, no, it's a good thing that you need to get rid of it. But I know for a fact that she loved that shirt because I wore it while I was with her. This shirt does not predate our relationship. The thing is, what has happened over time is that what she once thought was cool, stylish, sexy, may I say that. That's for you, church online, if you guys are there. Um, she no longer thought, looked good. Any of you guys ever been in that place where, like, you look back at something from a couple years ago and you're like, oh, my gosh, what was I thinking? But the reason I want to tell you guys this story is because it illustrates something that I think we all know to be true. We as people change. And, and it seems even culture specifically, as a culture, our culture is rapidly changing. And so if you're not up to date with your wardrobe, you can be stuck in a certain era. Come on, somebody. And so culture is changing. Our wardrobes are changing. But what I just, I've seen lately, and I don't know if you guys uh, agree or disagree with this, but culture has always been changing, but it seems like now it's changing even more rapidly. We're like, our world is vastly different than even what it was three years ago, four years ago, six months ago. And so the reason I want us to understand that is I want us to understand, listen to this, that we as people, and most specifically culture changes. If you're taking notes, you can write culture changes. If you're not taking notes, you got to start taking notes because I got a whole bunch of good stuff for y'all today. Like I got good stuff like you haven't been in here in four months. And so culture changes. And this is extremely, extremely important because I think we know this to be true. 2020 is vastly different than 2010. And 2010 was vastly different than 1910. And so all of these things, whether it's 10 years or 100 years, things, our world, our culture has changed immensely. And so what we're doing in this series, we're throwing it back to the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis was written, and it specifically covers a period of time between 6,000 and 4,000 years ago. And so if you guys think culture changes rapidly in 10 years, how much does culture change in 6,000 years? And so this is going to be really important as we go through this series. Because as we go through this series, we are looking at ancient characters. And for a lot of people, and this is really the whole Bible, because the earliest documents in our Bible are still 2,000 years old. But a lot of people, they end up confused because they try to read the Bible through the lens of a Canadian in 2020, not taking into account the context in which it was actually written. And so all that to say, we're going to see some things in Genesis that might make your jaw drop. We're going to see some things that might confuse you. It's funny because I don't know for anyone that grew up in church, a lot of times, like specifically Genesis, you'll hear of characters like Adam and Abraham and Joseph, Jacob, all of these, we call them heroes of the Bible. But one thing I want to see and one thing you will see in this series is that each and every one of these characters is deeply flawed. They're messed up. 
And they're so messed up. And a lot of the ways in which they're messed up, it's going to seem doubly so because their culture is different than ours. But here's the main point I want to bring with that. We're going to get into the word. Although culture changes, one thing I believe to be true is that humanity does not. Culture changes, traditions change, but I think our humanity at the core stays the same. And one thing that we're going to see in this whole series is that the characters in the book of Genesis are not the, story, are not the heroes. There's only one hero, and that is God. And that's no different than today. You and I are not the heroes. God is the hero of the story. And that's what we're going to see specifically in this series. So you guys ready to get into this? All right, let's do it. We're going to be going through... Um, the book of Genesis, uh, specifically uh, chapter 2 and 3 today. And before we get into it, I'll kind of set the backdrop for what's happening. So very specifically, the story that we're looking at today is most commonly known as the fall of man. The fall of man. How did, how did sin enter the world? Now, in this series, we might throw back to chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. We'll see how things go. But specifically, what you need to know about the context today is that God has created the world. And God has created everything in the world. And everything that God has created, the Bible says that when God created it, it was good. And then God creates Adam and Eve, and the Bible says that it's very good. How many guys know that you are very good because God says you're very good? You have worth because God says you have worth. And so there's this picture in Genesis, and it's this picture of perfection. It's a world untainted, a world without Sin without shame, without darkness, without death. Everyone following? And so what happens in the story is that God uh, gives the, 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 the Adam and Eve, the two humans, he gives them some advice. He says, hey, he says, tend the land. He says, name the animals, like keeping them busy, come on somebody. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. Some of you guys are like, what does that mean? It means have sex. God says to Adam and Eve, he says, have sex. He says, have a lot of it, be fruitful, and multiply. How many guys know God wants you to have sex when you're married? We haven't changed that much. Calm down. It's only been four months. <laughs> and so God says all these things to Adam and Eve. But here's, what, here's the main point. I need us to understand this. The world is inherently good. Adam and Eve have everything that you could ever imagine. They have the literal presence of God. They have this garden of Eden, this paradise. But God does say one thing, and so that's where I want to start. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. This is what it says. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man. He said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Again, this is paradise. This is perfection. So, like, there's probably, like, all types of trees. Mango trees, if mangoes grow on trees, I don't know. All these good things. But he says, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly Now, I need us to understand this. God gives them literally everything. He, he's protector. He's provider. He gives them pleasure. There's more than just reproduction. There's pleasure. God literally gives them everything. He gives them so much. There's only one thing he specifically says you can't do. He says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Out of these thousands, thousands of trees, just don't eat from one. Keep this in mind because this is very important as we go through this story. Because what I want to do in this story, what I want to do this morning is I want to show us how although this time is so different than ours, the humanity of Adam and the Eve is so similar to ours. And the way in which you and I mess up, the way in which you and I fall short has not changed throughout humanity. 
culture's changed, but we haven't. And so what happens here, what I'm trying to get us to see, is that what God says that they can do far outweighs what God says they can't do. Keep that in mind. And so what happens in Genesis 3 now, verse 1, it says the serpent, the devil, as you guys more commonly will know him as, was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now hold up. Do you guys remember the verse we just read? Did God really say that? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's not true. That's a lie. I need us to understand that. That is a lie. Because God said you can eat from every tree, just not one. And so we're going to see right here how the enemy works. Because what the enemy wants to do, one of the reasons that we get so caught up in messes, we get so caught up in our own, in our own uh, sin, is because what happens is we believe little lies of the enemy. And so what the enemy wants to do from the very beginning is he wants to twist what God says. It's just a little twist. Because here's the reality. If you would have said to them, hey, you know what, God's a really bad dude. They would have, like, shoot that snake so fast because God had given them everything. He was provider, protector. And so what happens, all he can do is plant a seed of doubt. It's a little twist. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? Now, you see, where I want to take this as we begin this morning is I want to show how this same picture plays out so often in our life, in our society, in our culture. You see, what the enemy wants to do, the enemy wants to get the perception of God, how we view God, to shift. We, we can't look at God as lover, as loving, as protector, as provider. We need to look at him in the wrong way. And so what he does is he twists it. And I think one of the main twists, and maybe you guys have experienced this, is this idea that it's like, man, you don't want to follow God because God wants to hold you back from something. You don't want to follow God because true happiness is in doing all this stuff over there. And so what happens, and this is the culture that we live in now, so many people have a perception and a picture of God as God is someone that wants to keep stuff from us. God is, God, God is hiding something from you. God does not want, want what's best for you. It's like I remember when I became, um, or when I was on the track to, to become a pastor, and I told a lot of my friends, and they don't have Christian backgrounds, and I remember the very first things they said to me. They're like, oh, you're going to become a pastor. Does that mean you can't get married? Does that mean you can't have sex? Does that mean you can't swear? Does that mean you can't get drunk? Does that mean you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't? They have no long history with church or with God, but their picture is that everything that God wants to do is about what you can't do. Because the enemy tries to twist it. It's just a twist. This is what you can't do. But here's the point that I want us to say, the, the thing that we need to see in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and really 1, 2, 3, is that what God gives us is so much greater than what he wants to keep us from. What God gives us is so much greater than what he wants to keep us from. That's what we see in creation. He gives them everything. It's one thing he says don't do. He says don't eat from the tree. Here's the reality, and here's where I want to go with this. Because he, here is the truth as well. What God gives us is much greater than what he keeps, that he, than what he wants to keep from us or keep us from. 
But the reality is there are things that God wants to keep us from. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Christianity does not have sexual ethics. I'm not going to sit here and tell you there isn't parts in the Bible that talks about drinking too much wine. Come on, somebody. There are things that God wants to keep us from, but what he wants to give us is so much greater than what he wants to keep us from. The reality is this, though. We have to view God in the lens and the light that as creator, he wants what's best for me. If he created me, if he knows my inward parts, if he knows me better than anyone, I have to believe he wants what's best for me. His perspective is greater than mine. It's like uh, we have, we have uh, twins. They're seven months old now, if you guys have seen them. They're pretty cute. Um, but one thing, like, I love them, um, but they're like, and they're growing and they're developing. But like in comparison to me, they're quite dumb. That's just, just babies, right? And so one thing is like as they're learning and as they're growing, like they, they kind of have more freedom. And uh, it, it, it's funny because what we like to do is we like to put them just like sitting down, right? Like just to sit on their butts and then they can balance themselves now, which is like a big deal when you have babies. Some of you guys are like, what kind of life do you live? Um, it's just, it's a milestone. And so one thing we like to do is like to sit them down. And, and they like to sit down. It kind of brings them great joy. They feel really, like, big and, and free. But one thing that we need to do, especially when we put them in our living room, because our living room is vinyl, what we have to do is we have to put a wall of pillows around them. Because what happens is if they don't have any supervision, they're going to fall and smack their head hard. Because although, like, they have this freedom and all they're growing, they're still kind of dumb and they're still developing. And so what happens, though, when these pillows are around them, for the baby that maybe doesn't know much, they would look at these pillows and say, man, these pillows are kind of cramping my style. Like these pillows, because they actually get in their way sometimes for what they want to do. Like I want to do some stuff, but these pillows are in our way. Now us as parents and anyone listening to this story, you can see the logic in terms of why there's pillows there. It's for their protection. Do you guys see where I'm going? And so in order for God to actually love and protect Adam and Eve, in order for God to actually love and protect us, there has to be some kind of boundaries in place. There has to be. It's for our protection. But we just have to realize that the way in which God looks at us is with a perspective that is much greater than our perspective. In relative terms, we are the babies and God is the adult. And so what that means is that we don't always see why God puts things in place. Now, for some of us, it's like, okay, like, I get pillows, but, like, what's the point of having a tree in the garden? Like, why did God tell them not to eat from the tree? What was wrong with that? You see, here's the thing you need to understand. The reason it was wrong to eat from the tree was because God said it was wrong. Is everyone following? You don't need to know why. It was wrong because God said it was wrong. Now, here's the thing. This is truth with everything that God keeps us from. The reason he keeps us from it is because it's not good for us. And so we don't even need to understand it. I think the beauty of God is that there's great logic in the things that he keeps from us. But the truth is, if we understand God in the perspective of who he is, we should be able to submit and say his perspective is greater than mine. You see, this is so countercultural for the way that so many of us live. Because I'm going to be quite honest, when you read the Bible, the whole Bible, there are parts in it. Are there parts that Jesus loves us? Absolutely. Are there parts that are going to come in direct uh, opposition to how we live at times? Yes. 
are there going to be things that we read and it's like, man, this is kind of hard. Like, I don't even know if I believe this. But what happens is we have to view things from the lens that says, you know what, I'm going to trust this because God created me. And God has a perspective that is greater than my own. But here's the thing. Most of us do not view God in that lens. Most of us do not live our life in that way. You, you want to know how the most of us live our lives? It's like this. Well, I think. You know what that's like? It's like, yeah, I, I've heard that, but I think. Yeah, I know, I know what the Bible says about, like, sexuality. I know what it says about forgiveness and loving your enemies, but I think. You see, for so many of us, the way in which we view life is not necessarily from anything above us. It's just us. Like, I talk to so many people, and I say, how do you form your worldview? Like, how did you come to that conclusion? And it's like, well, I think. This is what I think. Here's the problem with that. We as humans are ever-changing. And so the reality is this. What we think is wrong today, we might not necessarily have thought was wrong last year. How many of you guys saw this? Canada Day was offensive this year. Wasn't offensive last year. That's because we change. And so what happens is that if we try to base morality, if we try to live a life where we say, you know what, I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to set the direction for, my, for my life. The issue with that is that we as people change. For some of us, it's like, you know what, like I get my morality from the government. If it's legal, it's all good. Come on, somebody, 420. If it's legal, but the, the same thing applies. Governments change. Policies change. And so when we look for something other than God to form our views on life, we are putting ourselves in a position to trust something that has the ability to change. But what the Bible is telling us about God is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we as humanity, although our culture changes, our core is the same. And so what was good for us and what was bad for us does not change based on what we think. What we think. You see, if by, if by definition God is God, I need to let him be God. You guys following? If God is God, I need to let him be God. Now, for so many, so, for so many people, it's like, okay, well, like, what's, like, what is the, what is the, the point of the tree? Right? Like, I can see certain things, like, there's logic. What's the logic of the tree? You want to know why God put that tree in the garden? It shows the very character of God. What is most important to God is that we have the ability to choose. It's that we have free will. God, one of God's, when we see it here in Genesis, is that God's ultimate will is that we have free will. For better or for worse. God says, I want you to choose. Life or death is always before us. Here's the thing. God sets the standard, but he does not force you to abide by it. He says, this is for you, this is for your own good, but you are free to do what you want to do. You're free. And so the enemy tries to twist it, right? Did God really say that? Does, does God really want to keep you? And, and here's the thing. A lot of stuff, it sounds good on the surface. Look what happens. Genesis 3, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, because remember, the serpent says, did God really say that? She's able to identify. She's like, no. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. The snake replies, you will not certainly die. 
For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He kind of sounds like our one dumb friend we have, right? It's like, just do it. <laughs> like, what's the worst that could happen? Just jump. Like, just, you'll be all right. <laughs> he says, just do it. He says, just do it. And a lot of us is funny because we look at this story and it's like, man, if I was in the garden, like, I would have such great knowledge. Like, I wouldn't have fallen for that stupid trick. Like, I would have followed God because I love him. Look what happens next, verse 6. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And Adam, like any dumb husband, <laughs> ate it. Here's the thing I want us to see. You want to know the reality of why she ate the apple? It's not an apple. The fruit doesn't say apple. It's a common misconception. You want to know why she ate the fruit? It's because it looked good. It seemed good. It seemed desirable. Write this one down. This can save you so much in your life. Just because something looks good doesn't mean it is good. Can I talk about the twist for one more second? I need you guys to understand this. When something is twisted, it's going to sound good. Can I tell you some common misconceptions that kind of sound good? One thing I hear all the time is like, wait a second. You're going to wait until you get married to have sex? How will you know if you're sexually compatible if you never have sex? You, you, you don't. And I said this in relationship rehab. Like, you wouldn't test drive a car. You wouldn't buy a car without test driving it. Like, take her around the block a couple times. Like, how will you know? And for a lot of people, it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, that does sound good. Like how, and so what happens is when something looks good, we immediately assume that it is good. I could go on, right? The government. The government wants what's best for us. Like Trudeau, if it's legal, therefore it must be good. If something looks good, it doesn't mean it is good. Wait, if, if it's just me and a computer and I'm by myself, who am I hurting? It's just me. I'm just watching a couple things. And so what happens is culture will have a narrative twists it. And a lot of times this narrative sounds good. And, and it's twisted. It's like, wait a second, God is love. Sex is love. Love is love. So therefore, God accepts everything. I can do whatever I want. Just because something looks good, just because something sounds good, doesn't mean it is good. And so the fruit, it looked good. So she's like, man, this must be good. This must be good. The thing, too, I want us to see is that she gives the apple or she gives the fruit to her husband. Have you guys ever found that a lot of times when we fall, we take people with us? Like, our decisions, they don't just affect us. It's like, man, this is just me. If I, this is just me if I mess up. This is, this is just, I'm not going to forgive. It's just me. But what happens is we take people with us, and the thing with sin which we see what sin is. It's a big word. It can scare people. It's literally just disobedience to God. That's what it is. It's opposition to what God has said. 
And for a lot of us, the reason that we do it is because it looks good. It sounds good. And so it goes on and they eat the fruit. And in verse 7 it says, And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Look at this part. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Here's the insinuous nature of sin. When we fall short, when we mess up, sin brings his friend shame. And so when they mess up, when they are disobedient to God, their very first reaction is to feel naked because when we mess up, we feel exposed, right? And then they hide, and then they hide from God. Because it's like, man, I sinned, I fell short, like God could not see me like this. God wouldn't accept me. And so they hide. And, right, and this, this parallels our lives so much because for so many of us, when we mess up, when we fall short, and the inevitability of our lives is that we will mess up and we will fall short, what happens is that so many of us fall into this vicious cycle, which I call the shame cycle. And the shame cycle is this. It's I mess up, therefore I feel shame, therefore I hide, and therefore I'm far from God. You want to know why it becomes a cycle? Here's what we need to understand. Shame does not come from God. That, that feeling that you feel, that, that shame, that is not God. Shame comes from the enemy. And the reason shame comes from the enemy is so we can get caught in this cycle. Because shame does not change you. Shame will never change you. And so what happens when you feel bad, if you, did, if you just feel shame, that's fine, but it's not going to change you. And eventually, anyone that's ever felt shame knows it wears off. Do you know what happens when it wears off, what we do? We sin again. Because can I be honest? Sometimes the fruit tastes good. Come on, somebody. And so we feel this shame. And then we sin. And we shame. Sin. Shame. Hid. And it just becomes a cycle. A cycle. And so they hid from God. But look what happens, though, because... And we're going to skip ahead in a second. Because the reason that shame cannot change us is because shame is not long-lasting. And shame will eventually turn into something else. And we'll see it right here in a second. So we're skipping forward. We're going to go back in a second. So God says, um, who commanded you? Who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Look what Adam says. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. Then God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So here's the thing. This is what happens with shame. Shame does not say, keep this up for just a moment. What happens with shame, because it's not long-lasting, shame will eventually turn to blame. And it's like, yeah, I felt this shame. I'm not going to feel this shame any longer because I'm going to put this on someone else now. I can't hold the weight of shame, and I shouldn't hold the weight of shame because it's someone else's fault. I love Adam. It's twofold, he blames. The woman, number one. You, number two. He's like, God, it's your fault and Eve's fault. It's not my fault. I didn't ask for any of this. <laughs> like, you put him here. Twofold. 
And then the woman, what she does is she blames the servant. Now listen, this is probably, if you guys have been in Kingdom Church, this is, and because this story is very explicit, this is probably the longest I've ever talked about the enemy or the devil. And the reason I don't talk about the devil a lot is because I have a whole heart belief that we are fully responsible for what we do. Some people are like, Satan made me do it. It's just this great temptation. At the end of the day, is temptation real? Absolutely. Is, 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 is all of these things coming against us? Did she ask for the snake to come? No, he was just there. But at the very end of the day, we are responsible for what we do. We all have the choice. God puts in front of us the choice of life or death. Peace or heartache. He says, we choose. We choose. Listen, and you can write this one down. I don't have it in my points, but I say it all the time. We cannot always control our circumstances, but we can always control how we respond. No one can force me to do anything. And so what happens with shame And the reason so many of us get caught in this cycle is because shame turns to blame. And we never get out of the cycle. Because the only way to get out of the cycle, and and we'll, we'll see it in a moment, is to let God intervene. And with God does not come shame, with God comes conviction. And what conviction says is, I'm called to live to a higher standard. What conviction says is, I'm saved by grace, but I'm not gonna stay here. And so conviction is different than shame. But what happens with shame, when shame goes to blame, when you blame someone, you have a reason for why you never change. It's like you don't understand. Like the reason I have to go from relationship to relate, I wouldn't have been like this if my first partner didn't leave me. It's their fault. I'm only here because of them. Or it's like, you know what, it's just in my blood. Like my people, we're just hot-blooded. Come on, somebody. You can't like, that's just, that's inbred in me. I can't, I got... I'm always late. That's like Indian people, right? <laughs> always late. All of us have excuses, and excuses are directly tied to shame because we're looking for a reason to absolve ourselves of the responsibility. And so what happens is we hide. We hide. Adam and Eve hide. You see, the reason I wanted to, to, to go through this story is because although it's so old, although it's so ancient, their humanity is so similar to ours. Because we do the same thing 6,000 years later. We get caught in this cycle. And so the only way to get out of this cycle is to understand the pattern and to understand that there is someone that wants to break the cycle. So let's go back because I skipped a verse. So what happens, again, it says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. So they're hiding. We saw this. Here's the part I want us to see. It's my two favorite words in the Bible. It shows up again and again and again. It says, but the Lord God. But, someone shout, but. But. God. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Shame causes us to hide. Shame causes us to just sit there and to stay in our hiding. But God comes in, but God changes the story, and God says, where are you? You, you, you want to know how I know that shame works in direct opposition to who God is? Shame says hide. God says, where are you? The very nature of who God is is that God wants to chase you down. God will leave the 99 to come and look for you when you're hiding. That's who God is. 
the twist of the enemy is to say that God never will accept you. God could never accept you. But what the Bible says from Genesis all the way to the end is that God comes into the midst of our mess and he chases us down. And he shows up. He shows up in our sin. He shows up in our sin because God wants to find us. That's the will of God. What's your picture of God? Well, God just wants to judge me. He wants to condemn me. No, God wants to find you. The Bible says that the will of God is that none shall perish, but all shall come to repentance. All shall follow God. And so in the midst of their mess, God shows up. He says, where are you? I want to break this cycle before it even begins. Where are you? Listen, there's people here today, people online, and you've been hiding from God. You've been caught in this cycle. You've been hiding, but God says, where are you? I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. See, the very presence of who Jesus is, he's Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us. He shows up in the midst. Some of us, man, I know this quarantine, like y'all haven't talked to Jesus in four months. You know what he was saying the whole time? He said, where are you? Come home, stop coming. Now listen, the presence of God is the solution to, to shame. I don't need to feel shame because God does not shame me. Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. We have two issues. We have shame and we have blame. And so the presence of God, that is a solution for our shame. Now for most sermons, I'd end there because it's really nice, makes, it feel, makes us feel good. But the story actually goes on and the story actually gets better because the presence of God is one thing. When we're going through stuff, we need God with us. But here's the reality in here, and I, I'm talking about that big word, sin again. The reality is, is every single decision we make, especially our bad ones, have consequences. The consequence, though, is not the absence of God. He'll be there. He'll walk with us. But every sin we make, every bad decision, it has a consequence. And so we see that. I want to show what happens next. It goes on. And to the woman, he says, this is the curse of sin. He says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. So listen to this. Children are an absolute beautiful thing. I got twins. Come on, they're beautiful. But the pain of child, child labor is there to remind us of what has happened. To remind us that we do not live in a world of perfection. And he says this. He says to Eve, he says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Here's what I'm trying to show. Everything that God had created has now been slowly corrupted. So the perfect union of Adam and Eve, which was perfection, which was amazing, has now been corrupted slightly. And so every relationship moving forward, there's a slight corruption or at least the potential to be corrupted. He says, for women, your desire will be for, for relationships. That's what he's saying, really. He says, you will have this innate desire to be wanted. And, and the darkest side of this is that you will go and look for love in the wrong places. And he says, for men, you will root. You know, I know what the curse of men is. It says that men, when we corrupt, we just want power. That's what he's saying. And we've seen this show up in relationship after relationship for centuries. It's a man domineering. This, this is the curse. So he goes on and he says to Adam, he says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. So God says the ground is cursed. Everything you have to work hard for. He 
says, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So listen, this is getting real depressing. But we need to understand something. Everything that we do, good or bad, has a consequence. And sin specifically has a consequence. And I painted just a little, bit, a little picture of it, but the biggest consequence to sin is death. That's what he's saying. He's saying death has now come into the world. That's from dust you are to dust you will return. Now you need to understand something, and this is why I cannot just stop with the presence of God. Because the presence of God is amazing, and the fact that he shows up in our midst is so great, and it feels so good. But the reality, and we all know this, and we experience this every single day, we still live in brokenness. We still live in a world that is far from the picture so listen, God did not stop with just his presence. God did not just stop with, with, with coming up in our midst, with taking shame away. He wanted to do one more thing. And what, we're gonna, what he does, we're going to read it in a second. And you may not see it at first, but I'll explain it. And so what God says is this next. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He's talking to, the, to, to Satan. He says there's going to be corruption, there's going to be good, and there's going to be bad. There's going to be evil, there's going to be wars. And he says, and he will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. Now you need to understand this. Because most people don't see this, but this is a thinly veiled reference to Jesus. And so what he's saying, he's saying when sin comes in, when the enemy comes in, it's going to look real bad. And for a lot of us, we have situations. For a lot of us, we have seasons where things look bad. But what he's saying to the devil, he's saying, you will only strike his heel. That's a reference to the death of Jesus. You're going to pierce him, but it's not going to be the end. In fact, Jesus is going to crush your head. What he's saying is that Jesus is victorious. He's saying Jesus, once and for all, is going to take care of everything. You have my presence, which is the solution for shame, but you also have Jesus, which is the solution to blame. Because there needs to be blame. When something goes wrong, someone is responsible. And what we've seen is you are responsible, but the beauty of Jesus is Jesus comes and he transcends and he says, you are no longer responsible. I'll take responsibility. Put it on me. He'll pierce your heel, but I'm going to crush his head. Come on, somebody. The blame that you and I deserve. The Bible says as one man sinned, Adam, sin came into the world. But one man, Jesus, came in and was victorious for each and every one of us. So listen to this. The beauty of Jesus is I don't have to live in the shadow of shame. And even more than that is he's taken the blame. He's taken the blame as well. Look what First John says. He says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us all of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Hey, why don't we stand? Each and every day, the mercy of God is new. Each and every day, he presents before us life and death. He says, I'll take it. Jesus says, I'll take it. I'll bear it. Listen, right here, right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, we want to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus. Now, for some people, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here, you've never made that decision before to 
and say, I want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to accept that gift. If that's you this morning, all I'm going to ask you to do is raise your hand. It's super simple. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. We don't want to embarrass you. We don't want to call you out. We just want to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus. I'm accounted count to three. If that's you this morning, we just want to give you the chance to respond. If you're at home, you can raise your hand too. One, two, three. Just show me your hand. I want to give my life to Jesus. Hey, why don't we pray this together? We say, dear Jesus, I need you. I need you now more than ever. I give you my everything. I give you my wins give you my sins. Make me a new creation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't we clap our hands for every person in the building, online that's made that decision. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for who you are, God. We love you. We thank you. You've taken our shame and you've taken the blame. Be with us, God. Give us health. Spirit, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Hey, thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope it was something that you needed to hear. If you want more information, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca slash connect. We'd love to get in touch with you. Until next time, take care.